2 Corinthians chapter 4, so from verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, but not built by human hands. Not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us. For the things done while in the body, whether good, whether good or bad. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than that rather than in what is in the heart for if we are out of our mind as some say it is for god if we are in our right mind it is for you for christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again Well, two of the biggest needs that we have as humans are the need for belonging and the need for something to live for, a sense of place and a sense of purpose. If you walk into UWA from the north and go through the underpass under Stirling Highway, uh, you'll notice, well, you might notice, I talked to a student um, just before who's been there for five years and actually hasn't noticed this there, but that's okay. Uh, But on the left wall, there's this long wall that's about 30 metres long that starts with this, and it's all about belonging and how you can find belonging at UWA. Uh, The first part of it says, a sense of belonging has been described as one of our most important needs. Belonging means that you feel accepted, included, a sense of connectedness or a part of something else. Uh, And if you've ever been bullied or excluded, if you've ever been to a new country or city and felt pretty uh, disconnected and alone or culture shock, well, you'll know just how important it is to have a sense of belonging, to feel at home. And so it's worth asking, where do you belong? 
I mean, for you as an individual, what is truly home for you? The place where you have that deepest sense of connectedness. If you can find the answer to that question, uh, it's both important in and of itself, but it also goes a long way to also finding out what your purpose is in life. Because these are two foundational questions for each one of us to ask. Uh, Where do I belong and what do I live for? Finding our place and our purpose. And that connection between the two will become clearer as we go along. Tonight we're looking at a part of the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, that offers a profound insight into both of these questions. Uh, So let's have a look at that passage. If you've got a Bible open in front of you, uh, that'll be great for you to follow along. Uh, But if not, that's all good. I'll have the key verses up so you can see them as well. So first up, where do we belong? Now, to make sense of 2 Corinthians 5 and how it's speaking into this, it's important to understand that the passage we're reading is from a letter written by a dude named Paul to a group of Christians living in the ancient Greco-Roman city of Corinth. And in this letter, he's telling them about how he's been having a really tough time recently. He's been facing physical persecution, he's been beaten up, he's been thrown in jail, all kinds of stuff. And just before our passage tonight, in chapter 4, from verse 8, he writes, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. So you can see that he's having a pretty hard time, isn't he? Uh, but then have a look how he continues in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. Uh, why are they not de- crushed and destroyed? Uh, and why not in despair? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now, when he talks about the earthly tent we live in being destroyed, he's talking about our physical bodies dying. Our bodies are like tents. That's the metaphor he's using. Uh, We live in our bodies. We live in them. They do their job. But they're ultimately temporary. We're all going to die eventually and decompose. Uh, The tent of this body won't last forever. And, of course, if uh, Paul was an Aussie, he'd have a very fitting metaphor. He'd be talking about a swag, which is a perfect one-person tent, one body each. Uh, But even the best quality, bougie, glamping swag isn't going to last forever. You take on enough camping trips, it's going to start to break down in the sun. And that's the same with our bodies. They're temporary. And Paul says that's okay. Why? Because, second half of verse 1, because we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now, Paul here isn't talking about mansions in heaven. Uh, Remember, he's using the analogy of a tent being our bodies. And so the eternal house is not a house that we live in, but it's talking about our resurrected bodies that we'll live in forever. At the core of the Christian faith, uh, even as we talked about in the Apostles' Creed, is the reality that Jesus not only died for our sins, but was also raised to life on the third day. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't rise as a ghost but in a physical body. Not a fallible, corruptible, temporary body like the ones we live in now, but a glorious new body that's going to last forever. Not a temporary tent, but a permanent dwelling. And Jesus promises that for all who trust in him, we too will receive these glorious bodies that will last forever. Bodies that won't get sick, bodies that won't age, 
bodies that won't break down, I honestly can't wait. But of course, we do have to wait, don't we? As Paul reminds us in verse 2, we're not there yet. Check it out, verse 2, he says, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we'll not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal, our frail bodies, may be swallowed up by life. I wonder if you resonate with that experience of groaning and feeling burdened in your body. Maybe you've experienced injury or chronic pain. It could be physical illness. It could be mental illness. All of us will have faced uh, these things at one time or another, and many of us are facing them right now. And the, the average age here at Uni Church is a little lower than most churches, But of course, the older you get, the more you'll resonate with what Paul is saying here about groaning and being burdened in our fallible bodies. Every year, things slowly deteriorate. Your eyes get worse and you start needing glasses, as I've just found out in the last few months. Uh, You get injuries that take a long time to heal or, or never fully go away. You have more and more friends and loved ones who die. You may not feel at the age of 18 or 24, but it's coming And of course, this is a reality that's been brought home to me in a very real way in the last four and a half months. So as as a bunch of you will know, uh, last September, I got sick. Initially, it just felt like a mild cold, a bit of a sore throat, a tiredness, and so on. Uh, We don't know uh, if it was COVID or not. My philosophy is that if you never test, you'll never test positive. Um, But about 10 years later, uh, 10 years later, it felt like it actually, about 10 days later, I started to feel better. Uh, The sore throat went away, the headaches went away, just a bit of tiredness kind of lingered. But as with a normal cold, I thought I can just start going back about my day. Uh, But as I started to get back into things, I did about half a day of normal stuff, and then I absolutely crashed. Energies fell through the floor. I couldn't get up. Uh, The next day was the start of Spy Mania, our kids' holiday program. Uh, And I was leading a a small group and doing a few things, um, but it was a massive struggle, and people ended up having to take over for me throughout the week. I couldn't be up for more than an hour or two without having to lie down um, and continued and got worse throughout the week. Spymania finished. um, I slept all day on the Saturday and felt a bit better the next day and so was able to preach at Uni Church on that Sunday. Uh, But on the outside, it looked normal. Uh, I think I remember apologizing. I might be a bit bit low energy, but people said, no, no, you seemed normal. But on the inside, I I was exhausted. I was so drained. Over the next few weeks... I kind of got into this cycle where I would rest lots, feel a bit better, so I'd start to do a bit more stuff, and then I'd crash even harder. So it was this cycle of just going uh, kind of a downward spiral, I guess you could say. I got to the point where on October 23, so about six weeks after I'd gotten sick, I had a phone call with Evan, our senior pastor, where we decided that to break the cycle, I needed to take a few weeks fully off to just rest and get properly better. So that's what I did for, for a few weeks. I spent pretty much all day in bed, But the scary thing was that instead of getting better, I continued to get worse. It got to the point where I was spending over 22 hours a day in bed, uh, could barely manage to get up uh, just a few short times a day, even just to eat. If I could eat three meals a day and have a shower, that was a good day. 
And sometimes I could barely manage to hold my head up to actually put food in my mouth. It was, it was pretty scary. It's worth saying that throughout this time I was seeing doctors and doing tests, but everything came back normal, and they said we can't see anything wrong. And as some of you might know, but it's worth being aware, it's actually not uncommon for severe fatigue and many chronic pain conditions, and indeed some other conditions as well. Modern medicine just doesn't understand it very well yet. So it probably goes without saying this is a pretty scary time for Alex and I. Um, We have friends who have similar things happen to them and have developed debilitating chronic fatigue that sticks with them for years and years, and it started to feel like the same thing might be happening to us. So I've got to say, it was a pretty dark time for me. Wondering, just even simple things like, will I ever be able to play backyard cricket with my kids again? Will I ever be able to, to work again? To provide for my family? To be a pastor? And there'd be times where Alex would find me in bed just crying because I was so overwhelmed with despair. I'm normally a very optimistic guy. It took me a long time to get to that point. But it got to a point where I just felt completely broken and I couldn't see a way out of it because it was just still getting worse week by week, no matter what we did. It stayed like that for quite a while, but in God's kindness, around the end of November, started to make some very small steps of progress. And throughout December and then increasingly in January, I started to get more energy back to the point where I'm now about 80% of what I was before. And as I mentioned before, we're so thankful to God that I've even recovered this far, and so thankful to many people who have been praying and helping us, and God has answered your prayers. But through this all, God has been reminding me just how fleeting and frail this life is and just how foolish it would be to live for the temporary things of this world. The more I groaned in those dark days, the more I longed for the new body I'm going to receive when Jesus comes again, the more I longed for my true and eternal home. Because you see, in our hardships, God teaches us in our moments of weakness and suffering and frailty, God is teaching us that these temporary bodies, this world, they're not our home. They're not where we belong. Have a look in your Bibles with me where we see this in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 6. Paul says he's been suffering greatly, and then he says, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home, in the body, or away from it. You see, as as long as we feel at home in these bodies, we are away from the Lord. The more attached we feel to the temporary things of this world, the more detached we are from our loving creator and Lord. The more our focus is on building a comfortable life here, the more it distracts us from what truly matters and what truly lasts. As C.S. Lewis writes, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it, while really it is finding its place in him. His increasing reputation, widening circle of acquaintances, his sense of importance, The growing pressure of absorbing an agreeable work, some of you will sense that as you've gotten into the workforce in recent years, build up in them a sense of being really at home on earth. And that sense of being at home on earth is dangerous. It's lethal 
Because it leads us to hold so firmly to our lives now that we let go of life in the next. That Jesus says that whoever wants to find their life here will lose it. But whoever loses their life for him now will find true and everlasting life with him. Which means good things like prosperity and comfort are actually very dangerous, aren't they? And once we realize that, we start to see that suffering, yes, suffering is a hard thing, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's one of those things that God uses in his mercy and his kindness for our good. To remind us of where we truly belong. To remind us what really matters and to remind us where our true home is. You know, Paul, when he was suffering deeply, he could write these words in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. Now, his troubles were pretty severe and lifelong, but he's saying light and momentary and comparing to eternity. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, I've always believed those words to be true, but in these past few months, they've become precious to me in a way that I've never felt before. When life's going well, it's so easy to focus on the visible, the superficial, the temporary. But in our hardships, God helps us to focus on Him and what really matters. And that's a kindness, isn't it? And a mercy. It's not pleasant. Trust me, nothing about the last four months has been pleasant. But I'm so thankful to God for using this to shape me as he knows best. So maybe you're here tonight and you faced or are facing some challenging hardships. It could be physical. It could be mental. It could be stuff in your past. It could be stuff that you're dealing with right now. And maybe there's been times where you've been tempted to feel bitter against God and wonder, God, how could you do this to me? How could you allow this? Surely if you loved me, you wouldn't let me face this. And if that's you, then sister, brother, be reminded that God is not against you. In Christ, he is for you. And in these very sufferings, he is weaning you off a fatal attraction to the things of this world. This is not our home. This is not where we belong. Our home is with Christ forever. And through your suffering, God is shaping you to be more like Christ, our suffering saviour. Be assured that these light and momentary troubles, even when they feel severe, are achieving for you an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Uh, John Piper has written a book called Don't Waste Your Cancer. As someone who has faced cancer himself, he counsels others not to waste their cancer, not to waste, indeed, any other sickness or ailment, uh, to not waste these hardships and the opportunity they are for us to grow in Christ, to hold more lightly to the things of this world and to fix our eyes more firmly on Jesus. Suffering will send you in one of two directions. You can either allow them to make you bitter 
Or you can prayerfully seek that they would be things that, that help you lean and rely on God even more. As Spurgeon said, he said, I've learned to kiss the wave that cast me upon the rock of ages. You know, being dashed upon rocks in a stormy sea is not comfortable. But he says, I've learned to kiss that wave. I've learned to appreciate the way that God helps me lean more upon him. So for those of us here tonight who are struggling, I hope God's word tonight is a comfort. But for others of us here tonight, this passage is a challenge and a warning. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not suffering. Maybe you've got the opposite danger. Life feels pretty good. Uh, Maybe without noticing, prosperity has been knitting your heart to the things of this world. Maybe things are actually really going well with uni or work. You're in good health. You've got good friendships. You've got hobbies you enjoy. Things feel great. You feel like you're finding your place in the world. But really, it's finding its place in you. I mean, this world feels like home, feels pretty awesome. So who needs to think about eternity? In 2017, a few weeks before The Last Jedi, Star Wars movie was released, Babylon B put up a satire piece saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus, but please, not before The Last Jedi comes out. Part of the article reads, Lord Jesus, we know that you promised you would return to us in the twinkle of an eye, bringing on the final period of judgment and at long last establishing your reign of justice upon the earth. How we long for that day. Come quickly, Lord, but please, just not before The Last Jedi comes out. Not before we get to find out what Luke is up to hiding in that cave for so many years. Now, of course, it turned, as it turned out, The Last Jedi ended up being total trash. Um, <laughs> but leaving that aside... It's kind of, it was a sad reminder of, oh, wait, we actually thought that movie was going to be good. Different times. But the article is putting its finger on something significant. Persecuted Christians are not wanting Jesus to delay. They can't wait for him to come. They're longing for their new bodies. Suffering Christians can't wait for Jesus to come back. Longing to be away from the body and at home with their Lord. But comfortable, prosperous Christians... The danger for us as Christians in the comfortable West is that we start to think, you know what, God? I'm actually doing all right here. In fact, I've got some big plans for my life. I've I've got a career I want to build. I've got relationships I want to pursue. I've got experiences I want to experience. So actually, no rush. I'm good. And we're finding our place in the world, and it's finding its place in our hearts, and it's gripping us. And if that's you, then in his love, God is giving you a warning to wake up. And if you're anything like me, I find I can even from day to day find myself in one camp and another. Some days I'm just struggling and I'm saying, come Lord Jesus. And then sometimes the very next day I'm like, nah, I'm G, let's keep going. So this is a wake up call for me as well. To recognize the danger and change course before it's too late. As Paul continues in verse 9, he says, because this world is not our home and we'd rather be without Jesus our Lord, he says in verse 9, so we make it our goal to please him. Whether we're at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. See, no one knows the day or the hour, but at some point, Jesus is going to come back. The curtains will close on this temporary present age, 
and we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And Jesus will render judgment to each person. Now, the good news of the gospel is that for those who trust in Jesus, Jesus bears the penalty for our sins in himself. He takes that judgment that is rendered to us, it's borne by him, so that we can be freely forgiven. But for those who don't want anything to do with Jesus, for those who live for themselves, they will be judged as themselves based on the things they've done. And that's a scary thought. Those who seek to find their life in this one will lose it in the next. But God doesn't want that to happen, which is why he sent Jesus. And it's why in his love he's giving us this reminder, this warning to turn to him. For some of us to turn to Jesus for the first time and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I've been living for myself. Help me to trust in you instead. Maybe to do that for the first time. But for others of us, perhaps to turn to him again, to turn to him afresh and turn away from the things of this world that perhaps even in the last couple of weeks or months, as you look back, you notice that they've been capturing your hearts more and more in subtle ways. God's calling us not to live for ourselves, but to please him, the one who gave his life for us and rose again. Now, as you may have noticed, we've moved from our first question, where do we belong, to our second, what do we live for? Because, of course, the, the two are so inextricably connected. If this world is our home, if it's where we belong, then it would make perfect sense to live for the temporary things of this world. This life is short, it's brief. If you think too hard about it, it's ultimately meaningless. And so you might as well at least try to get as much as you can out of this short life as you can. That would be perfectly consistent. But if this world is not our home, if our true and lasting home is with our Lord Jesus for eternity, if that's where we belong, then it only makes sense to live for him. Uh, Have a look in your Bibles with me where we see this in verses 14 to 15. It says, For Christ's love compels us, Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Because here's a critical thing for us to realize. Everyone lives for something. We're not always aware of it, but every person on the planet is living for something. Something that they look to for their meaning, security, their purpose, their happiness. In 2005, the acclaimed novelist David Foster Wallace gave a now famous commencement address where he talked about how everyone lives for something. And even though he was an atheist, he said that whatever thing you're living for, the thing that you find your meaning in, your security and so on, that's functionally, he said, what you're worshipping. He says this, He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And a compelling reason, he says this as an atheist, a compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or or spiritual type of thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, 
then you'll never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, and you end up feeling weak and afraid, and need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. And the insidious thing about these forms of worship is that they're unconscious. They're default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day without ever being fully aware that's what you're doing. Now that's remarkably insightful, isn't it? He's speaking from a completely secular perspective. But he recognises not only that everyone lives for something, but also that if you live for anything in this temporary world... It will eat you alive. It'll never satisfy. Even if it feels like it does for a short time, by definition, it'll never last because it's temporary. It will collapse under the weight of your expectations and crush you underneath it. And tragically, it was just three years after giving this address that David Foster Wallace took his own life, feeling crushed under what he saw as the meaninglessness of life. Live for the temporary things of this world, not only will they not satisfy, but they will eat you alive. But live for Jesus, that is the path of true life that will never let you down. You know, if I lived, if I put all my identity in my career or in my work or anything like that, if I never got better from chronic fatigue, that's gone from me. That's crushing. But I found in those dark moments of despair that my relationship with Jesus was one thing that could never be taken away from me. And not only could it not be taken away, it could only be strengthened through hardship. If you have that, that is, you become unbreakable. That is why Paul says we are hard-pressed but not crushed. As Tim Keller puts it, if you serve your career, your career will never die for your sins. If you live for your career and you end up failing, it doesn't meet your expectations, it will crucify you inside with self-loathing. But Jesus, on the other hand, was crucified for you. Jesus died for us both to forgive us for our sins and all the ways that we try to ignore God and live for ourselves. Jesus died to forgive us, but also to free us for a better way of living, of living not for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. To live for him in ways that are deeply deeply meaningful and that last for eternity and that can never be taken away from you. And once you start to grasp this, it's a radical mindset shift. It's so liberating. It means that instead of our plans and priorities and ambitions being driven by self and making our temporary lives here a little bit more comfortable... Instead, our plans and our priorities and our ambitions are driven by pleasing our Lord Jesus, to love others the way he's loved us, to point others to him so that, not so that our temporary lives might be a little bit more comfortable, but so that their eternal lives might be a lot more comfortable. So others too can know Jesus and have life in him forever. So it's worth each one of us asking, What could it look like if your life in 2024 
was all about pleasing Jesus and living for him? What if that was a thing that you daydreamed about, that you thought about, that you just were so excited for? What are some ways that you might seek to love others this year the way Jesus has loved you? What are some ways that you might seek to serve others this year the way Jesus has served you? If this year you prayed that God would help you fix your eyes not on what is seen, which is temporary, but what is unseen and eternal. I find that a prayer that I keep coming back to. Even this very day, God, I'll pray in the morning. Please help me to see things from your perspective. Help me not be blinded by the, by the visible and the superficial. I mean, if you got up each morning this year and prayed that prayer, how might that shape the way you spend your time and your money? How might it change your habits week to week and what you fill your mind and heart with and and what you seek to be shaped by? Brothers and sisters, this world is not our home. Our home is with Jesus. And we long for Uni Church to be a community that is shaped by that reality a counter-cultural community that, that lives differently to the world around us, that is captured by a different vision. People who live not for themselves but for Jesus, whose eyes are fixed not on the temporary but on the eternal realities that Jesus has in store for us. Students and workers laboring together in the gospel to make disciples together. What could it look like for you to join us in that mission this year? Unichurch family, these last four months have been really hard for me. But in God's sovereign kindness, they've also been deeply good. They've been a reminder of where my true home is and where I really belong. And they've been a reminder of what's really worth living for. So would you join me in praying that God would shape us more and more into people who delight to live for Jesus? And fix our eyes on what's to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your sovereignty, wisdom, and love. We thank you that in all things you work for the good of those who love you. And that even in our sufferings, we can trust that you are our loving Father. Father, for those tonight who are suffering and feeling discouraged, please would you be their comfort and use their hardships to remind them that this world is not their home. Fill them with the peace of looking forward to what is to come. Father, for those of us tonight who are comfortable, please warn us and wake us up to what truly matters. Thank you for giving us your son Jesus who died for us and was raised again. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have when we trust in him and for the new life that he calls us into. Father, please, by your spirit, would you shape our hearts more and more to want to live not for ourselves, but for Jesus. And we pray this in his powerful name. Amen.